podcast in the world from WWE to DNA Impact by way of the NWA. It's time for Reffin' It Up with legendary referee Brian Hepner and guest host, Mr. Reffin' Rant himself, Jimmy Corderas. An all new episode starts in this. Is revving it up. Welcome back to Reffing It Up. I am RJ. I am joined by the two greatest referees of all time. First and foremost, from the Great White North, Mr. Jimmy Corderas, and the one. The only Mr. Brian Hamler. But first, Jimmy, how are you, man? Man, can't complain. It's it's the road to WrestleMania. Elimination Chamber's coming up this week. And they've got me fired up. I like it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm interested. I'm I, I'm invested in what's going on. There's a lot of stuff, you know, negativity in the air. But at the same time, they're taking that. They're making me forget about that with what's going on. So that's a good thing. Well, what, yeah, Jimmy? outside... Outside of being up at five o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast <laughs> to uh, watch it live, I'm like, I look, I'm like, Ugh. all right, if I'm up, if the dogs get me up or something, then fine. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> well, Jimmy's in a good mood and I am, too, but I have to get over my bad mood first. And that's how I'm talking about this thing called Twitter. And I would like to address that really, really quick before we get going. So for those of you out there who like to talk trash on your Twitter account. If you would not go up to that person's face and say it to their face, shut the fuck up. Otherwise, break all your fingers off and quit tweet- tweeting mm-hmm. with stuff that you're not going to say to someone's face. I'm never going to go to Jimmy Corderas whether I want to say it or not and agree with it or not and say, you know what? You haven't been in the business for 15 years. You're not worth a shit. You know what? He's going to punch me in my fucking mouth. If you're not going to say it to somebody's face, don't, put, don't, 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 don't type it. You know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just a way for these people to just get their way into the world that they never could before. I mean, we're dealing with a guy, no disrespect to a trailer because I lived in a trailer. That was my first time was a trailer. And actually it was called, uh, Felix was the name of the trailer. Um, and it was the best time of my life. Okay. So, um, I'm not knocking you, but you put on there that you live in, you live in a trailer. Don't marry you because you're crazy. And what you're going to do because your wives have died before, you know, this, the da, 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 da. And you're got 15 followers and you're trying to take the credibility of a Jimmy Corderas away. Fuck you. Well, I appreciate you having my back. No, no, that, that means a lot, man, because, uh, you know, like you said, uh, it, I, I sometimes refer to it as anti-social media because it gives people, nameless, faceless people, a platform to try and troll and try and get a reaction. And, you know, like, oh, look, I just got blocked by so-and-so. Hey, and they th- for them, it's a badge of honor. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. I just, I just, I get to a point where I just ignore them and, you know, it's it's the Canadian coming out of me. What can I say? <laughs> well, well, I preach what I say. If I tweet something and you think it's nasty, I'll say it to your face. I'll say it to mm-hmm. your face. If you beat my ass, then you beat my ass. But I will say it to your fucking face. I'm not putting out some fake, uncredible crap that I wouldn't say to your face. And that's what everyone else should do. And then we probably eliminate all that crap. So if you're a little bitch at home sitting there and you know you can't beat a wet paper bag, then don't be typing shit. Because one day you're going to run into that person, maybe. You never know. Never know. Well, you know, and it's as an outside looking in, if I if it wasn't for the fact that this show 
we'll be doing 100 episodes next next week. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But if it wasn't for the knowledge from somebody on the outside coming in, doing shows with, with you, Jimmy, and you, Brian, having guys on like a Tommy Dreamer, like a Bully Ray, or excuse me, Tommy Dreamer, Bully Ray, JBL, I br- I'll bring something to you guys that Bully's told you, Brian, on uh, Busted Open, uh, Master's Class. How many WrestleManias did you ref? How many main events did you ref? How many Royal Rumbles did you do? You know what I mean? How many years did you spend in the, in the business away from your family on the road nonstop? Yes, you were with the boys. You were with your friends. They have more credit. I'm Like I said, as an outsider, it's like those are the things that I look at. And that's the stuff that got me hot. And it's just like lack of common sense. We'll say that. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's the last thing I'll say, and then I'm gonna leave it alone. And I'm only, I only brought it up because me and Jimmy are not on here to attack people. We're not at all. We're not to attack anything. We're just giving our opinions and giving the the experience that we have both went through through our, our careers and sharing it with each and every one of you listeners. And we appreciate all that. And so this has nothing. This guy probably doesn't even listen to the show because if he listens to the show, he'd see the credibility that we do have. But do you think guys like Bubble Ray, do you think guys like Tommy Dreamer, do you think guys like Al Snow, do you think, and I, I can keep on going on and on and on, are going to join our show because we're a bunch of bullshit artists that have never done anything in our, our career? It, no, they're not just coming on here. But they're coming on here because they respect what we've done and what we've done for them through their career. Mm-hmm. So it, that's why I got so mad about it. That's why I brought it up. And Jimmy, I don't care if you're out of the business for 30 years. I'll continue to sit here at my table where I'm at right now in my downstairs kitchen, and I will continue to listen and absorb everything you tell me on this podcast and on your reference rants and all that stuff. I will continue to because I respect each and every opinion you have. Whether I agree or not, I respect it. No, I appreciate that. And like I said, we learn off each other. I, I learn from you too, Brian, and I hear things. And I'm always, like I said, in this business, you have to always be a sponge and absorb as much knowledge as you can. You, like you said, you may disagree on certain aspects of what you in the presentation and what you see on TV and that sort of stuff. You may like it. I may like it. We may not. You might like something I didn't like, or you might not like something that I liked. It's it's all a matter of opinion. But there is, I hate to put it this way, there is a right and wrong way to do things. Yep. And and mm-hmm. and that's what I try to point out from my point of view, our point of view what we felt was the correct procedure and getting to your destination and what we thought could have been done differently to make it better as opposed to say tearing it down saying oh that was that was the drizzling shits you know what i mean right right yeah. well we could probably talk about this for the whole first second and third count <laughs> probably so yeah. rj go ahead and uh let's send us up to the first count since i got all that out now i'm in a good mood now guys let's go oh awesome <laughs> this is your one count Last week on Dynamite, guys, this is something that uh, a lot of people are talking about within the business, uh, outside the business, what have you, is that the promo that Darby Allen did uh, last week on Dynamite, that uh, he got the crowd to chant Cody Rhodes' name. Jimmy, this is something that you talked about. Um, I... It's one thing to say, hey, the WWE, it's something that AEW has constantly done since they started, I I think, and I found. But I, when's enough is enough, right, Jimmy? 
I I think this went a little over. Look, uh, all credit to Darby Allen and during the promo because he did show a lot of passion, a lot of fire. It's probably the best I've heard him do a promo in in forever, if if not the best of all time uh, from him of all time. But there were little things missing in the promo. It's I, we always talk about the little things that you have to points you have to hit. He's attacking the young bucks as EVPs. Yes, that's fine. But you didn't mention anything about Sting, who is your partner and the guy that is not there because of the attack by the Bucks. And yes, you like realism and truth being in a promo, especially given with such passion. But at the same time, they got a chant out of their audience for the top babyface in the other company that they're in a battle with, if you want to put it that way. I mean, that's what they're doing. <laughs> You don't want to bring that attention to them on your TV show. You know, a little change, a few little words here and there, and it would have been absolutely fine. But again, he didn't reference Sting in that promo at all. Or if he did, it was very minimal. And he didn't, the Bucks were in the white suits with the with the blood. He didn't say anything about that. You think you, you know, you've got our blood on your shirts and you think that's a cool thing anything to reference what was going on and i hate to keep harping on this yes you want to bring some realism into it but you change a few words so they don't get you chanting for the other company's top star top babyface before the rock came back that is of course <laughs> well the thing is for me the the the, the it, like you said it was it was a great promo it was passionate it was you could tell it was heartfelt but other than the fact that basically he wasn't given a chance by the two that he was talking to, which were the Young Bucks, and given a chance by the other guy, which everyone started to cheer Cody Rhodes, what else was it about? I don't understand. Like, what was it about? Neither one of you are saying anything. You don't know either. No, right? it, yeah. It's, it, it's, it, yeah. It's just, from my point of view, it was just a, basically a promo to show that he was pissed and fired up and wanted his retribution, but not referencing his mentor. Mm-hmm. who is Sting. And, you know, going into that Revolution pay-per-view, which is Sting's last match, you got to put that stuff over. You think you're going to walk all over Sting? Sting is not like that. He may not be here tonight, but trust me, he will be there at Revolution to kick you guys' asses. And see, it's things like that, though, where AEW just misses the boat. You know, it's just that, that could have been a great opportunity for Darby Allen to prove that he does have promo skills and can do a really good promo. And then promote other things along with it, which is what a good promo will do. And like you said, Jimmy, it wasn't there. And then instead, in turn, with a great promo, you end up with the crowd chanting for the other team's main event player. I mean, that's that's not good. That's not good. I I think it was horrible for business. I think it was horrible for business. And it didn't do them any credibility at all as far as – moving forward I, I, like i said the, the promo was about in my opinion unless i totally missed something was about the the time he wanted to get a job couldn't get it they got it from the other guy who's in wwe and their top star after that i have no clue what the rest of the shit was about so i yeah tommy dreamer put it well instead of putting the emphasis on you know cody the evp there was one evp and it wasn't kenny he said that took a chance on me he didn't have to say that the boss took a chance on me, right. you know, referencing Tony Khan. So maybe the, maybe you get the crowd chanting Tony, Tony, as opposed to Cody, Cody. 
And then you got someone in the company that you put over. That's all. Simple little thing. Well, no, and it's just one of these promos too. It's like you that I've seen with AEW sometimes don't be as elaborate as you want to be. Keep it simple. Get your points across. Get in, get out. Let's go. A or WWE has the chops. They have the talent. They have the writers to have those elongated promos that mean something. Those promos that Drew McIntyre's head of as of late has been absolutely fire. You never, th- you never knew that where that was coming from because he's never, ha- he never had to do this. Now he's getting up to that point where he has to, where Darby Allen, okay, maybe he's, he's younger. Who knows was if this was a, a scripted kind of thing or was it a bullet point? He said, okay, go ahead. See what, have fun. That's probably, uh, who knows? I think there was more, more of the latter. That it yeah. was bullet points, you know, here you go, go out there and, and do your thing. And I think a lot of the promos that you see in AEW, we see some good stuff, you know, especially from some guys like Samoa Joe. I think Samoa Joe's doing mm-hmm. a fabulous job. You know, oh. he, he's believable, man. You you don't want to stand up to him because you're afraid to get your ass whipped. You know what I mean? That's kind of stuff. And going back to Drew for a second, Drew said, says stuff in his promo that really connects. He's, and it works great when you're a great heel. And he says little thing like, I speak the truth and you don't like it. You know, because it is true what he says, but he says it in su- such a dickish manner that people hate him. And and in the back of their minds, they're saying, yeah, I know he's spitting the truth, but at the same time, it's the way he's saying it. You know, he's just fabulous right now. He's knocking it out of the park. Awesome for him. Well, while we're on Drew, um, we might as well stay there. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's let's talk a little McIntyre here. That's called a segue, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I was going to say something, but now nah, we'll just go on. Um, so it is uh, WWE officially reported that uh, been hoping to sign Drew McIntyre to a n- new contract as uh, they apparently went to prevent the top talent from, you know, potentially going from AEW or New Japan or wherever, which is obvious, you know, it's been over the last couple of years. But um, it was first reported a couple months ago that his contract was expected to expire in mid 2024. Um, but obviously both sides have been going back and forth. Um, he was open to be leaving who knows where he was planning on going, but it seems that there has been various coming ins and goings either way, but it's speculation is out there that he's picked up this week that, uh, he's advertised for WWE's return to Italy on May 1st of this year which is well past McIntyre's rumored contract expiration date. Uh, According to the pro wrestling insider, WWE out officials are working together on the idea that the Scottish warrior drew McIntyre will stay with the company. However, it was noted that he has uh, yet to sign a new contract as of this week for last week. Um, So Brian, Somebody that you worked in TNA too, that he's come le- leaps and bounds from those TNA days, from those SmackDown days as the quote unquote chosen one. This is, uh, 
Is he one of those set guys that you have to immediately check off your expiry, expired contracts kind of thing? If there is a, a, such a list, physical list. I mean, here's the thing. They better sign him. I mean, and it, it, yeah. it better be already done. And it's just one of those things that doesn't hit the dirt sheets. And that's great if it doesn't. But they better sign him at this point because you can't gamble on running the way they are with a character such as him and doing a phenomenal job, by the way, uh, and and in hopes of signing him. You can't – there's no way they're doing that. That's playing Russian roulette. Uh, so, to me, it's done. To me, it's done. Um, now, the figures may not be where they're, they're negotiating, whatever, but this is a done deal. There's no way they're going to put all this TV time in him, all with the biggest character they've got, which is Cody Rose, without something substantially done. I don't know if it's – Five years, one year, and a, 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 a year extension. I have no idea. None of that. But something is on the table signed that he's going to be there past WrestleMania. Um, so, and, and once again, I'm not threatening, but I'm kind of threatening. But you better sign him. If he's not signed, you better sign him. Because if he's the walk away, boy, I think WWE's kind of going to have to put their hands in the air and be like, what the fuck is going on now? Now, Jimmy. Now, Jimmy, were you, were you still with the uh, SmackDown there when Drew was there earlier, his first run? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought so. Seeing him from when he started there to seeing where he is right now, it's got to be you know black and white and light, night and day kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Drew and I were buddies. You know, he was a good dude. Uh, always very respectful. But there was uh, we. For lack of a better term, we saw something in him. It's just that he, for some reason, couldn't bring it out. And he took that time away, and maybe that's what he needed. And he says it himself a lot of times. He needed to get away to find out who he was as a professional wrestler, as a performer, what he wanted to bring. And he found it and came back, and he developed it even further than when he went away and worked at other places. And now he's found his niche his groove and to the point of whether he is signed or not, the WWE, in my opinion, wouldn't invest so much real estate in someone like him at this time, a big win over Cody Rhodes uh, on, on Monday night with a guy who isn't signed yet. There's at least a handshake deal, I think in, in the works here, the, in the very least, but there's probably some kind of working agreement. Listen, I'll be here. And for this amount of time, I can figure it out. And then going past WrestleMania, he took out Punk. Can you imagine if he were the one to dethrone someone like a Seth Rollins mm-hmm. and, you know, take that title and say, I am the, now I'm the working man's champion and you guys have no choice but to like it and just be that total snarky heel that he is. And when Punk's ready to come back, fly in through the crowd and attack him. Can you imagine how that place will erupt? Mm-hmm. Jimmy, I'll tell you this, um, and, and RJ, too, since you asked the question. That change in Drew, if you go back and look, when he came to TNA, where I was, when they were on fire, okay? TNA was very big at that point, drawing huge numbers on Spike TV, going over to England, selling everywhere out. Um, you know, we were we were doing really, really well. He came from WWE, and I'm going to tell you right now, when he won that gold over there, that's when that switch flipped. 
That's when you saw the same guy you're seeing now, just on a much bigger st- stage. It's the same with Joe. Joe's not surprising me right now. I'm just surprised mm-hmm. it took fucking long for him to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Joe is Joe, and Joe has been the same Joe in his latter teenage years as he is right now. And, and, and it's the same with Drew. Drew is the same guy he was in TNA. It's just at a higher degree, and he's working with bigger stars, guys with a little more, you know, this Cody Rhodes thing. I mean, what, right now, what's, what's bigger than Cody? And now he's working with that guy. So right. it's just a bigger stage and landscape, and I am not surprised, and that's what's crazy to me. And the thing is, like you said, Brian, it, it, it put he found another gear. When he came back to WWE, he got that confidence back, like you said, in TNA when he was working there and he found himself. But when he came back to WWE, having all those guys to work with, he, he found the fifth gear and he's now in sixth gear. Let's put it that, that way. He's, <laughs> he's he's really, really, man, I, I love it. I love what he's doing right now. Yeah. You know, so. Before we bring in our guest, Mr. Joel Gertner, in another about 10 minutes or so, I want to leave enough time for the show to go in another gear, a eighth gear, seventh gear, if you will, to our Refin Review. This is Refin Review. AEW keeps giving us the material for the show. And uh, first and foremost, I want to uh, say thank you to everybody over at AEW for giving us tons and tons of content uh, for a reference review each and every week. Um, you can at me if you want. I've been through it all, guys. It doesn't really make any difference to me at this point. But uh, Jimmy. Hey, RJ. RJ, yeah. <laughs> real quick, we just call it the AEW reference review. <laughs> well, ninety percent of the time it is, but there's always that ten percent there where you kind of have to kind of go off to the side a little bit, and you know, have AEW or WWE in their, you know, their certain cadences or whatnot, Actually, or their fakeouts. Yeah, I, I, I've got one from WWE as well. Despite the, oh, the fact that we, if I can, really quickly, and it was on Monday night, and it was during the Jimmy Uso Gunther match, where. Spider, by the way, you're killing me, Spider. You, you know, they, they were working outside and he started his count and Jay gave Gunther like that back kind of suplex, dropping him on the announce table. And he rolled off the backside on the far side. And Spider jumps out of the ring to check on him, which some people have a problem with. I'm okay with it because look, he took a big bump. You know, the t- it looks like the referee's checking on him, make sure he's okay. When he slides back in the ring, he starts counting one, two. He started over. Why? Neither one of the guys got back in the ring. You stepped out to check on, on Gunther to see, make sure he's okay. When you left the ring, you were at four. Jump back in the ring and go five. Continue, pick up the count where you left it off as opposed to starting over because the only way to break a count is for one of the participants to get back in the ring and slide back out. Now, if Jay had slid in and slid back out, I could see him starting at one again. So, Jimmy, I have a question there. Mm-hmm. Have you physically done that? What's that? Have you physically went out and checked on someone in the middle of a count and then went back and continued where you were? Um, 
I've I have gone out to check on guys when I think the bump looked really re- crazy, and just to make sure, you know, do do the old kayfabe thing, make you know what I'm talking about to check yeah, yeah. and see see if they're okay, and then go back in the ring. And I do. I pick up where I left off. Oh, okay. I I'll be honest with you, Jimmy. Um, yeah, I've never done that either. Uh, I'm not saying that it, it it's not the right way to do it. I, I've never done that. Uh, I almost think that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I almost think that if you jump out, the you broke the count yourself. Like in other words, you you broke the count. You've forgotten all about that because you're checking on the safety of the of the the mm-hmm. you know the wrestler. I don't know. I'm not saying I disagree with you. What I'm saying is I never thought of it that way. It's actually very interesting. I, I'd I'd have to think about this more when we have more time for me to think because we have a show to right. do. But uh, interesting. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not wrong. I just I'm thinking to myself right now, real quick. I I don't know if that's right or wrong, and I don't know if there is a right or wrong. But that's your no. That's the way I, I I envision it because the only person that can break account is the t- the participants in the match by physically entering the ring. Fair and, point. You know, so for me, that's the way I did it. Nobody ever told me different. You know, when I got to the back, nobody ever pulled me over and says, "Hey, why did you continue the count?" They were good. It was more like, "Good thing you went out and checked on him because that looked nasty." So let me ask you this: um, if it was a up in the higher count, so say you're around seven mm-hmm. and you were to jump out, would you right. the bolt there and say, Hey, I'm at seven. You need to make sure somebody rolls in or, I mean, yeah, I would, as, as you go by to check on whoever you're checking on, go to the other, the other talent and just say, roll in and roll out to break the count really quickly. That's all you got to do. You know, gotcha. and let them roll in, roll back out. That reset yeah. starts the count. Yeah. You have to do that to, to, to save and, your- and especially in this case, it would have worked because, Jay was trying to win the title. Gunther was a champion. You can't win the championship by a count out. So it only makes sense for Jay to roll back out, roll in and roll back out because he doesn't want to win by count out. Right. Right. I got you. Very, very important. Well, while we're on raw, let's, let's stay there. Oh, um, I can't believe it. We'll even have time to get the AEW shit in. <laughs> um, so um, and me and Jimmy talked about this uh, prior to us taping here. Um, these, swipes that we are witnessing week after week and they're and they are on wwe tv they are on wwe tv more than AEW. this swiping motion that you guys are doing has got to get better or stop one or the other i mean you are killing the false finishes especially for me and jimmy and rj i mean they they they, they start way too soon and they're done in a phony way and they're done bad and they're done bad. You cannot. I, I know we're not video here, and thank God we're not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's a tall tale sign, a giveaway, and it, it, it's it's got to stop. It's got to stop. No, it's and that's the thing. And, and again, as people who wore the striped shirt, and I'm sure you've noticed, RJ, it, mm. it's like I always say, I don't like to tell exactly what it is that we're seeing because once you tell the audience, they look for it and they see it, and now they can't unsee it. And that's how it is for us. We're seeing it now. We can't unsee it. And it, it drives me insane. My poor wife, who sometimes watches it with me uh, on the month, like Monday night, she was watching with me and she's like, you know, while she was on her, her tablet and doing stuff. And uh, I said, oh my God. She goes, what are they doing the swipe again? She knows. <laughs> it just drives me insane. Yeah. It, it really, really, really is bad. It really, really is. 
Yeah. They need to go back and watch their own match. And I'm sure the way some of these big headed fucking referees are now anyway, they're probably doing it anyway. Um, but go back and literally watch your count and how you're giving a good, and I mean a good false finish away and taking all the theatrical portions of what the boys are doing away. 100%. I mean, fans are into the, the actual move. And then once you start counting and doing that stupid fucking swipe incorrectly, and I know if somebody wants to listen to it and come back to me and say, well, you used to swipe. Watch the way I swiped. It ain't nothing like that. No, it looks yeah. like they get a scoop of a pound of ice cream. Mine wasn't like that. I was going through the motion and sw- swiped when I saw the guy kick. So it was literally my hand was dragging the mat and as I swiped. Sometimes my hand was on the mat as I swiped. Go back and look at all my Kurt Angle stuff. That's that's mm-hmm. that's the proper way to swipe. Right. And and like you mentioned there, it's okay if on a really close false finish so people bite to actually hit the mat because you couldn't stop your momentum and then wave it off. Yeah. So, guys, why don't we do this? You know, we're probably going to have plenty, plenty of material coming from AEW over the next week or so. So why don't you put a pin in this? I'm sure we'll have AEW next week, guys. No doubt about that. But why don't we take a break here? Here from our sponsor, Mad Cat Beard Care, and we'll be right back in our second count with Mr. Joel Gertner. Let's take a quick timeout from this great episode to talk about our sponsor, Mad Cat Beard Care. Ever since I've been growing out my beard, I had the biggest issue of finding the right product from the right company until I found Mad Cat Beard Care. Absolutely phenomenal. The best beard bombs, the best beard oils in the world. And if you don't have a beard or you don't have somebody in your life that has a beard, they have great merchandise. They have hats. They have t-shirts. They have medallions. And the best part about it is a percentage of each purchase will go to an animal rescue or a nonprofit organization. Post a picture of you using your Mad Cat Beard Care products and tag them with the hashtag Mad Cat Beard Care or Cats Beards Pro Wrestling on all your social medias for a chance to win free stuff. But head over right now to their website at Mad Cat Beard Care and use the promo code Refin It Up to get 15% off your entire product line over there at Mad Cat Beard Care. Thank you so much for sponsoring today's episode. And let's send it right back up to you guys. This is your two count. Well, 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 we have our favorite, one of our favorite ECW personalities here with us this week. The one, the only Mr. Joel Gertner. Joel, welcome to the show, man. Well, 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 what matters most is that I'm the favorite of every female member of your family for it is I, the lyrical miracle. The sexual, intellectual, the cunning linguist, and the quintessential stud muffin, Joel. It's that time of the evening where your mom, as long as she's 50 or under, and your older sister don't care where their underwear is. Because I'm on Reffin' It Up, episode one, two, three, with Brian Hebner 
and Jimmy Corderas. Gertner. Keep listening and have yourself an official eargasm. Wow. God damn. Well, wow. God damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, earlier in the show, we were talking about hearing some great stuff from, from the guys. I, I love that. We need to make sure that that gets out there, RJ, because it's it's too bad it's only on radio. It, it, it's and uh, There was no video of that because that was awesome. <laughs> I've only been working on that for the past two, two and a half years since my last booking, too, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, uh, we're we're out of here. Thank you for joining, wrapping it up. Uh, yeah, that, yeah how do you follow that? Follow oh, that, you. Yeah. Well, it'll make it an easy night for editing, at least. <laughs> so, Joe, thank you so much for joining the show, man. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, I, I reached out to you. You were very kind and reached back out, and here we are. And I'm so happy about it. And we we've been excited for the last couple of weeks as we, you know, me and you locked it in and got it all straight when you were coming on. So uh, let's dive into this, man. Um, professional wrestling in 1992, you were at uh, 17 years old and you got into this business that we call wrestling. And it's a crazy fucking business, too. Um, what made you want to be in this shit, man? Um, I, I, I It was a calling. It was, um, I don't know. Um what made Andy Kaufman want to do it, even though he was on taxi and he was in Hollywood, you know what I mean? Like when you just, when you have a love for it and when you see, when you, when you're watching it year after year, after year, after year, you're studying it, you're trading tapes, buying tapes, selling tapes, you're seeing all the different territories, you're learning all the different history and when you're just seeing what these people are doing and you're saying to yourself, that's not just what I want to do, but I think if I apply myself the same way everybody tells me, hey, you could be a great lawyer. Hey, you could be a great psychiatrist. You could do, you know, you're most likely to, you know, just do what you want to do and you'll succeed. Well, I loved wrestling. And I, I think I was corrupted by logic and reason at an early age you know back in the 80s and 90s they didn't really push as much as they do now hey just do what you love you know what i mean make your hobby your career back in the 80s it was more like make money being a hedge fund guy being a doctor being a lawyer being a insurance make money doing what makes the most money even if you don't love it so that you have money to put into your hobbies when you're not at work and i think too early even though it's now in fashion i got bit by the bug of why don't i just try to monetize being myself so that with the exception of turning it up on 12 to 12 or with the exception of being an extreme heel you know not counting that why not just do what you love to do talk communicate tell a story make people laugh shock people get a rise out of people raise an eyebrow on someone and um so yeah so i just that you know that's why i got into it is because i you know i i, I started watching you know, let's call it in 84 
and I'm, you know, seeing Piper's pit and, you know, listening to guys like Jesse Ventura and Lou Albano and what they were giving out as advice and wisdoms and insults and backhanded compliments and Mm -hmm. all of it. And I'm listening to this and I'm realizing that back then, you know, pre Morton Downey Jr. show, even like there was in the mid 80s and 84, you know, when you're like eight years old, there's nothing else on television like this. there's nothing else anywhere like this. You can, I, I'm in Brooklyn, New York and can't go outside and find characters like Lou Albano and Lou Albano's not so far from Brooklyn, New York. You know what I mean? But he was just so from another he was again, he was turned up on 15 that he was so on another planet with it that um that that's what got me hooked and kept me watching so i loved the talkers i loved the heels when it came to the wrestlers i loved the freaks because you couldn't see you know if you turn on nba or mlb in 1984 you might see robin yount and you might see carl yastrzemski but you're not gonna see you know missing link george the animal steel kamala or killer khan you know what i mean those guys are reserved for wrestling so that's why I would watch it is because it was it was better than a cartoon. I didn't collect comics at the time. It was better than a comic book because it was real life, real people who were just unreal people who you had to like look at and scratch your head and be like, if I run into this guy on the road after a show at a mart at a gas station, what's is he gonna bite my head off is he gonna sign my autograph gladly like what like what makes this guy tick and that's that's what kept me watching is just seeing the whole mechanism of it like just watching it episodically week to week function like a swiss fucking watch just order amongst chaos you know what i mean order made from disorder and 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 i think that's what made me want to be a part of it now, Joe, you're, Joe, you're 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 no dummy. Um, you attended Poly Prep uh, Country Day School in Brooklyn, New York, and then started attending Cornell University in 1993. And how dare wrestling interfere with your college your your college career uh, and, and your uh, professional? I guess what would be called a bachelor's degree. How dare wrestling get in the way and you stop going to school because of this thing we call wrestling? All right, you're either A, really fucking dumb, or you're really fucking smart. Um, you know, I I took a risk on myself um that I felt was it was like a time ticket, you know what I mean? It was um it was 25 years until I would hear Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook say this, but it was what I did. It was if somebody offers you a seat on a rocket ship, take it. So instead of hang around at Cornell and wait to see if that would lead to a seat on a rocket ship, um, you know, being able to be on the road and make the towns and be regular with ECW, that was my ride on the rocket ship. So it was a calculated risk. It was giving up an Ivy League run about three years in out of four and exchanging it for something that at the time at the beginning paid close to about $50 a night. 
but but I gambled on myself and um I've always been a speculator. I've always been a gambler, uh an investor, uh an entrepreneur and um and I've always believed that risk is costly. Risk is even expensive. But wait until life brings you the bill for not taking risk. So I wanted to go with ECW full-time, even if it meant leaving Cornell, because I think I made a snap judgment somewhere in the back of my head without even thinking about it, where I told myself, I would rather do this and regret doing it than not do it and regret not doing it. I love what you're saying there, because like you said, you take the risk, you're taking a chance on yourself. And that's the great thing about it. And uh, moving forward a little bit, you mentioned going to ECW and doing that full time. What was it about ECW that not only attracted you, but attracted an audience, a very rabid fan base that really caught fire in those days? ECW got to ramp up from like 92 until 95 was the ramp up. Um, and that's pre-Monday Night Wars. That's pre-Nitro. Uh, that's going back to 92. Now, granted, 92 was when it was a lot more of a local, regional, Philadelphia area product. It was a lot different in 92 than it was even in 95. But yet and still... I think people gravitated to it because a lot of the rest of the business, be it behind the scenes or on camera product wise, a lot of what was out there in the early 90s, 91, 92, 93, was the drizzling shits it it was it i look I, wrestling for me was like pizza i'll eat cold pizza i'll eat good pizza i'll eat bad you know i prefer some to other but i love wrestling so i stuck with it when it was bad i held my nose and i grinned and bared it and and, and i and i would just beg i would just wish and hope beyond hope that it wouldn't get so bad that it would go the way of roller derby. And thankfully it didn't. And I think one of the reasons it didn't was because by 94, 95, you've got ECW as this kind of outsider alternative at a time when being alternative was the best thing possible, just like alternative music at a time when being extreme, 94, 95, every new show, every new brand was either extreme with an E or extreme with an X. It was just the marketing vibe of the time, brand-wise. And I just think because of that, the timing was right. The product was different from WWF, different from WCW mentioned WWF disparagingly same thing with WCW 
had these weird relationships with both yes yes no no what's going on here why are wcw guys on ecw live events in 94 95 oh it's because paul Heyman could file a lawsuit if he wanted to but instead he's funding his shows with talent and then you know the relationship with wwf later on where we were basically just like you know memphis power pro just like kind of like ovw i mean we were essentially developmental we had you know al snow came and and you know got the head thing over with us and we had Brockus, we had draws we had um so but but and you know why ecw took hold the way it did um all that and, and and then even stuff as simple as the music, you know, I mean, I don't know how we bogeyed all that real music without, I'm sure, paying, you know, any, probably any copyright. You know, we were probably either on a handshake deal with, you know, the bands or I, who knows? I mean, we just, we just, fuck it. We just played the music, you know what I mean? So you've got, you know, Alice in Chains and you've got Metallica and you've got... You know, you, you're hearing all this. It was it was like MTV wrestling. You know what I mean? It was like it was like Wrestling Society X without going out there and trying to be Wrestling Society X. It was just I don't know, man. It, it was I think it was it was a combination of things. It was what wrestling needed at the time. Paul had his finger on the pulse of the public. Paul knew it. Paul was a good arbiter and a good judge of what could get over, what was getting over, what buttons should keep getting pushed, what should get backburnered, how to um how to how to um move with people's strengths and hide their weaknesses. And um so I think that's the reason, you know, I mean, music had been helping wrestling for a decade and a half, a decade by that point. You know, you talk about why was world class so over, you know, music, the fact that you got camera guys in the ring, you know, different stuff that they did. And, and we tried to do different cool stuff, Pulp Fiction montage and uh, and all different kind of stuff. You know, why was Bill Watts as over as he was? Again, hot angles. Um, stuff that was just, you know, psychologically just, you know, just firing on all cylinders and music, you know. So I think it was we became part of the zeitgeist by just under the radar, low key, just being part of the zeitgeist. People will accept you as pop culture if what you're doing is worthy of being pop culture in that time and at that spot. I hate, hate to jump in here and I, I want to follow it up really quickly uh, about this because you said that during the period from 92 to, to 94, 96, the WWF, w, WCW, their presentation, their TV show wasn't that great. It wasn't resonating with your audience. Do you think that the uh, changes that ECW bought, brought to the wrestling public was a precursor to them changing the, and adopting their styles to kind of fit with the current culture that they were missing out on? In other words, I, I, do you understand where I'm going with this? Were they the precursor the, for them, the, the Attitude Era and that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think so. Um, 
I mean, goes without saying, you know, we, I mean, I, you know, it's, I don't know, I guess this is the right time for it. I guess it's, it's not super fast forwarding, but um, yeah, you know, we got borrowed from whether it's tone, tenor, flavor, vibe, talent, we got talent poached. We got talent stolen. We got talent taken when their time was up. We got, I mean, you know, an extreme, like you said, arguably became attitude. You know, maybe there's no attitude era if we hadn't been the guinea pig with extreme, you know, and we're the guinea pig on TNN. And it shows that there can be wrestling getting ratings on TNN. So TNN takes a chance on WWE. Um Definitely. We were, you know, we were the pioneers with the arrows in our backs for sure. Go ahead, George. Go ahead. So obviously everybody knows ECW <laughs> land basically landlocked in the you know Philadelphia and surrounding areas. Do you think as a whole, not in specific time frames? Do you think it would have, say, Phil ECW out of uh, Chicago or Miami or, let's say, an L.A. or something like that? Are those were those would have been too big markets. Do you think they would have done as well in those types of markets? Um, exclusively, that's an interesting question. We started going to different markets not as early as 92 or 93 or mm, I don't know. We first hit Florida probably 94, 95. I got there in September of 95, so I, I know they'd been to Florida at least um, before, and maybe one New England um, before I started there. But they were largely, even by September 95, um, Philadelphia-based, maybe with the exception of, like, Middletown, New York. Um, but with the exception of, you know, a handful of spots, they were um, Philly-based. Um, but then they do go to New Orleans, and we do go to Atlanta, and we do go to Boston and Chicago and all the spots, you know, uh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Buffalo Loop, and you know, everything like that. So, um, you know, and I, I kind of build it up to because at the end of the day, it really did stay on the East Coast. Um, Chicago and Iowa-ish, like kind of northern Midwest, a time or two, maybe three. Texas. There was Houston, Dallas once. We might have gone back a second time. Uh, we did the L.A. pay-per-view. And we did a TV in Mississauga, Ontario. But largely, even though we were, whether you want to call us, and we did Japan. So, I mean, you know, to, to some people, we were global. And to some people, we were going up and down the East Coast. And depending on how you measure, you know, those are both right. Um, So, unilaterally, exclusively, if it was a Miami promotion, would it have taken off the same way? It's a tough question to answer. It's a great question. It's probably it's a question that I haven't been asked before. Um, but there's something real special about Philly, man. Philly's um, Philly's a very interesting wrestling town. Philly's a wrestling town that got NWA, Crockett, it got, you know, it was right kind of in the middle of the WWF territory, but the Crockett's NWA, Mid-Atlantic, 
promoted there ran TV there. So people got, even without just the magazines, even just on TV, people before ECW in the 80s were getting an alternative. There were four horsemen fans, not just from the magazines, but from TV in Philadelphia who didn't have cable in the mid to late 80s. So would it have happened in certain other towns? Depends which towns, maybe. But Philly was really a sweet spot where ECW kind of picked up where Joel Goodhart left off with the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. And that was kind of one of the top indies in the country because he was bringing in guys that barnstormers, he was bringing in Abby, he was bringing in Brody, he was bringing in guys that unless you were getting on a, a plane going to Narita and you were going to walk around and take a very expensive one-week vacation, you know, being a round eye out in Japan and, you know, just enjoying as much wrestling as you can. The only other way to see a lot of the guys that you could see at, you know, the Philadelphia Civic Center or whatever um, would be to go to a Joel Goodhart show. And, and Todd Gordon and ECW kind of picked up from that going back to the late 80s. So um, was Philadelphia the only place? Um, I don't know. But was Philadelphia a great place? The right place? Yeah, because it was always a town that had and enjoyed an alternative to what it was painted and supposed to enjoy and be. And it was always a heel town, too, which for ECW made it a great catalyst because for the NWA shows that went there, for the WWF house shows that went there, a lot of kind of white meat babyface types, your Shane Douglases in 1990, your Dustin Rhodes in 1990, Tom Zenk, Terry Taylor, these guys are getting booed out of the building in Philadelphia. And that makes it perfect for ECW with a character like 911 who's going to choke slam the guy who's doing a pretty decent deal of doing the national anthem on the electric guitar or he's <laughs> going to choke slam Santa Claus or you know so um I, I think I think Philly was you know the best place for it I don't know if it was the only place where it could have been birthed so I, uh Joel I've been in many many locker rooms okay and I've been in locker rooms before times have changed let's just say where, um, you know, there weren't so many rules, there weren't so many stipulations and things like that. And I'm not asking you to tell anything. I'm just asking you a question in general. ECW was more of a wilder side feel, you know, I, I, I'm, this is why I'm asking my question, where, you know, drugs and alcohol and things of that nature were not like as, what should I say, tested and, and, and looked upon as negative and things like that. Was the ECW locker room like crazy as fuck? I mean, is this something I should have done a long time ago and just fucking missed the boat? Um, I mean, you're right. You're right. If what you're saying is an entire season of Dark Side of the Ring could be done on ECW, you're right. <laughs> if you're saying that ECW could have been a reality show, 
you are right because I can share with you that I was sitting in production at Ron Buffon's parents' uh, house and Joey was there and Paul was there. And we were hearing at the time in our dying days that what might be the thing that saves us is that Bunham and Murray, the team behind the real world on MTV, was going to come in by us or MTV was going to, however it was going to work. Bunham and Murray was going to produce our show and the show was going to be basically part wrestling, basically part raw or our version of it where it's part in-ring wrestling and part not in-ring wrestling, just promos and what happened last week. That was going to be part of the show. And then the other part of the show was going to be watching the boys in the car interact with each other, going down the road, mooning, right? It was going to be reality. So so that, that was actually on the table, or at least that's what we were told. Um, never know because... It never happened, uh, but have to trust that that was on the table and hope that the interest was high enough that it would have been on the table. And I staunchly believe that it's, I take it for gospel because we had a ton of fans in music. I mean, we had Fred Durst wanted to work with us, so he worked with us. Billy Corgan wanted to buy us, I think. He wanted to work with us, so he worked with us. We had a ton of people that we would kind of get in bed with musically. So um, so I believe it. I believe that we could have wound up on MTV. We could have been a reality show. Um, we were... Sometimes I'll go on Twitter, I'll go on X, and I'll compare us to Dallas. Um, why the hell not? Because some people say we were the last of the territories anyway. So why not compare us to a territory? But going back to the Von Erics and world class, you exchanged Philly for Dallas, and we were rock stars. I mean, that's we weren't just pro wrestlers, so we weren't just pro athletes or pro actors, entertainers. We were physical, athletic rock stars. So I think you're right that that that's why it had that kind of wild edge to it is because that's that's that was who we were and that was who we were meant to be. Man, with all that, that damn, I wish I was part of that locker room. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of locker rooms, because Brian brought it up, you know, eventually we know that ECW and the property was bought out by WWE at the time and the transitioning into that. You speak about locker rooms. What was, how was the locker room, the ECW guys accepted in the WWE locker room? Was it like, hey, they're just part of the boys? Or was there a little bit of that, uh, you guys stay over there kind of thing and keep your distance and until you get, you know, was there a little animosity there? Was there, was there a feel of being an outsider at all at that time? When we were in the WWE locker room? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'll, like I'm the wrong person to ask because during the invasion of Raw, so any times that ECW guys were on WWE TV, 
even when the Dudleys and Sign Guy were included, I was not included. So I've worked for WWE twice in my life. I did ECW One Night Stand, the first one, in 05. I signed a two-day contract. What? Sunday. I wasn't used the first day. They gave me my per diem for it anyway. Um, on Sunday, I did a signing before the show. They paid me for that. They paid me for the show. And six months later, I get a check in the mail, and it's a pay-per-view bonus, which was not included on the contract. So I thought that was really, really cool. The one other time that I worked for WWE, um, however many years ago, five or ten years ago at this point, I went to Stanford and went to the TV building and sat in and was a talking head for a couple of different home video titles. One of them was OMG, the 50 wildest moments in ECW history. And the other one was um, a title... Um, just in an individual title about the Dudley boys and nothing that I said or recorded for the Dudley boys um, video saw the light of day. Uh, only the stuff that I did for, uh, for the 50 wildest moments. So I've worked for WWE very, very sparingly and on a limited basis. And as far as the locker room, uh, 2005, ECW One Night Stand, the first one, uh, that is the only WWE locker room I've ever been in, and it was for ECW One Night Stand, right? So the whole show is kind of about us, so it would be tough to gauge. Um, you know, it's hard to know if you're not, you know, hard to know if you're not welcome at your own birthday party, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I don't know. I, I'm probably the wrong guest to ask. So, you hear a lot of the times that in the heyday of ECW, a lot of the boys had different hats other than in-ring talent. Uh, in your aspect, obviously being part of the Dudley boys, you mentioned them all. Uh, did you have any other roles backstage for Paul or Tommy or whomever? I chipped in. Um, I'd come up with, little creative things here or there the fbi for example um they had a clown or a magi i think a magician like one night only in one town they had a guy and he was on the show and his gimmick was a magician but he was the fbi's you know full-blooded italian magician and I don't remember if anybody was having trouble coming up with a name for him, if he needed a name, anything like that. But I thought it would be right up Paul's alley, and I thought it would be right up the fans' alley, and I thought it would get very well received if um, if he were to be called Figlio di Putana, which is Italian for son of a bitch. Uh, I thought anybody <laughs> who was Italian would enjoy it. And um, so, yeah, but 
but I mean, it depends how much of a deep cut, like it, like as far as the creative that I like, we did body slams arena in Reading, Pennsylvania and body slams arena was basically a silo. So it's hot when it's hot and it's cold when it's cold <laughs> and we're running it in June. Oh. And it's like a hundred degrees outside and it's like 593 degrees in the building. And up until that time, I had been wearing my company colors, black jacket, white shirt, red bow tie as a heel and being snarky and being smarmy. And this is before the neck brace, it's before total elimination and the first pay-per-view. So I'm wearing the jacket, the shirt, but I am wearing a red bow tie. And I thought it would be up again, everybody's alley. I thought it would just be creatively the right thing to do. And I went up to Todd Gordon and I said, Todd, wondering if I can make business with pleasure. It is balls hot in this place. <laughs> maybe like Chris Farley, maybe like the Chippendale sketch, SNL. At least the shirt. What if I ditch the shirt? And what if I just wear the black suit jacket with no white shirt on and a red bow tie? And he went for it. <laughs> so, you know, once I take total elimination and you get the neck brace on me underneath the bow tie, that kind of becomes the likeness. So the first step in it, I guess, kind of, <coughs> excuse me, was me. But I don't know, man. Um, well, well, well was Paul. Uh, kind of like um, ECW had a T-shirt. Um, you know, of course, you know, this means war because he was big into like Bugs Bunny stuff and, and Warner Brothers and stuff like that. And he had just kind of quotes that he loved from TV, cartoons, that kind of thing. And well, well, well is just to this day, I'll turn on some primetime TV. I'll binge Netflix. I'll be watching TV. And here comes the heel. And the heel's like, well, well, well. So it's just a super heelish thing to say. So Paul put that on me. But the Gertnerisms, you know, the the rhyming, the, you know, all of the different sexual innuendo and stuff, which started out with, you know, I'm just like Rubik's Cube. The more you play with it, the harder it gets. <laughs> I read really tasteless jokes when I was like 10 years old. And here I am like, maybe I can monetize this joke that I read in a filthy joke book when I was prepubescent, you know, <laughs> and they all kind of just, um, um, it was a groundswell and they all kind of emanated from that one. So, um, so those were, you know, all of those, I would write those, uh, they would come to me in dreams in the middle of the night. I'd jot them down at my bedside, you know, at the nightstand table, whatever, and then roll over and go right back to bed. Uh, I used one that way once. Sometimes I would, write them right before a pay-per-view and I would spend the 30 minutes before the pay-per-view just memorizing it. Um, sometimes I'd write them a week in advance, you know, depending on what was timely and what was in the news. So I, I did some, you know, I, I guess mild creative, very mild production, you know, nothing to write home about or toot your own horn about. Um, I worked at a hotel in 1997-ish. That's when they did the invasion of Raw. Could have gotten the night off to be on Raw, but instead was at the hotel. I was actually at the... 
1997 was funny because between I would do four days a week at the hotel night shift if we had a triple shot Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or if we just had a two-day weekend, I would do five days a week. So I was doing seven days a week at one job or the other. I remember looking at a calendar and doing it out in 98, looking back at 97. And I remember that between the hotel shoot gig and ECW, I worked 362 days that year and had three days off. So, um, so what else I did was I got the boys great rates at, at uh, different Marriott properties. You know, I kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, the boys were staying at full service Marriott's for $39 a night. <laughs> Brian Hefner's like, I knew there was a reason that you were hired and stayed on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I know. Yeah. I thought I worked my ass off and uh, I worked at a hotel twice as often all week as I was working in wrestling. And, uh, and I was a good hookup for the boys, you know, not quite Jimmy Jet. Good referee uh, reference for you guys. I think he was tied in with a Holiday Inn Express in Orlando or some shit. But uh, <laughs> not quite that. But was working at a residence in by Marriott and did get the hookup. And the boys that were too cheap to pay 39 for the full-service Marriott spent 29 at the courtyard. And uh, that was it, man. Awesome. That's, that's great. So, Joe, here's what we're going to do, man. We're not done with you yet. We're not done with you All yet. Right. All right. But we're going to go to our third count here in a minute. And uh, basically, we're going to have fan questions. We're going to have Jimmy Cordero's questions. We're going to have Brian Hebner questions. We're going to have RJ questions. And I'm hoping maybe we can get one more stud muffin promo in. But we'll find that out when we come back with our third count. We'll be right back. This is your three count. Welcome back to the Reffing It Up podcast. What would it be without a third count with our great guest today, Joel Gertner? Thank you for joining us today. And we're going to answer some questions from fans. And we've got a couple more left before we take up too much of your time. I got one for you, though, I got it, that I got to know. Because growing up, of course, you talked about Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, which we used to get up here in Toronto. And, you know, when I was growing up, the Tunnies who were the promoters up here would book most of their talent from there, but they booked also from AWA, from WWF at the time and stuff like that. And being a huge fan, I was always a fan of guys like Ricky Steamboat, Wahoo McDaniel. I was a big, you know, you talk about white meat baby faces. I was into the baby faces huge. What made you decide when you got into it, you wanted to be a heel and just antagonize people? I I I love I love well the reaction it gave me I mean just watching Piper's pit you know what I mean just watching Roddy Piper just cut people up just roast them just hand them their ass verbally just you know Roddy Piper just going up to Ivan Putski hey you want to hear a Polish joke <laughs> uh, Polish that's all right I'll tell it to you real slow. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not that anywhere else on television you know what i mean so like i mean just heels being heels you know what i mean watching tnt you know tuesday night titans and lou albano's doing the hearts and flowers segment and he's telling women to bathe more and you know they need to bathe they should be cleaner and you know to keep a body as felt as his you don't get a body like his by accident 
And if you want to have a body like his, here's the secret. You could eat anything you want, anything at all. Just only swallow half. You know what I mean? Just stuff like that. <laughs> like the baby faces were, you know, we, it was, look, the eighties, we had Nancy Reagan, right? And she was doing dare, right? She was doing the war on drugs, say no to drugs. And the baby faces were in line with that, right? Like Hogan, say your prayers, take your vitamins. So you could get from the WWF baby faces what you could get from a role model anywhere else in pop culture. What you couldn't get even from a heel in a movie, the biggest movie heel of the year was never going to be Roddy Piper, Jesse Ventura, win if you can, lose if you must, but cheat always. You were never going to hear that. So my favorite wrestler was Jake the Snake Roberts. And he was a heel. And I didn't care. And I didn't care that he was a heel and that he was my favorite wrestler as a heel. It didn't matter. I liked him for his psychology. I liked him for his delivery. I liked that even the baby faces, Hogan, Warrior, Savage, even your baby faces in the WWF, to be over the top, were yelling. And Jake the Snake Roberts drew you in. And you had to tell the people in the room to be quiet and keep it down. Because the way he was speaking, you had to really get your ear to the TV set to hear him. And to me, that meant that he meant it. And if he meant it, that meant that it was a shoot. And I knew that it wasn't a shoot. But I knew that this guy was getting me more than most to suspend my disbelief. And I thought that made him a very powerful performer. So that's that makes, why I feels. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But, you know, another thing, too, you know, I, if I were ever to, and it's never going to happen, by the way, but if I were to ever be a manager or a wrestler, per se, I would want to be a heel because to me, that's easier, but can be harder if you allow it to be harder. You know what I mean? Because of the fact that you can make people want to hate you. You can do that in life. You can make people want to hate you, but you can't make people love you. It's more of a forced thing where being hated and, and, and not liked is, is kind of easier than being loved and want to be loved. Um, so I kind of get that. I mean, I really do. Have you ever been a baby face per se? I mean, has that has that been something you've done? Maybe not on a long span, but is that something you have done? I'm the unintentional baby face. I'm like the accidental tourist of baby faces. I'm like, um, no, really. I mean, I was a heel with the Dudleys. Um, they left. We got TNN. Now... Joey used to be a one-man announce booth. Now it's him and me. And I'm a thorn in his side. And I'm a heel. And then I'm kind of more of a tweener. 
And then they bring in Cyrus and they put me on the other side of Cyrus. He's representing the network. You've got me flag bearing for the company. So I'm beating him as a baby face. And I, Paul pulled me aside. One time I was, my my verbiage was getting over. The Gertnerisms were getting over. People were cheering. I don't know if he saw me slap somebody's hand, whether they were, you know, I, whether it was a kid or some, just, I don't, like, you know, every moment's a judgment call and you do what you do. And I was never trying to not be a heel. I was always trying to be a heel. I was always trying to be the Dudley's advocate. And Paul saw something that he thought was too babyface-esque that he didn't like. And he pulled me aside in the back. And he said, you are worth nothing to me. Mm. As a babyface. As a heel, you are worth $1 million. Wow. And he turned around and he walked away. So, 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 that I, so after beating Cyrus and towards the end of the company's run, 2000, 2001, and for all the reunions, except that ECW One Night Stand 05, where I'm kind of like begging for a job and I'm cozying up to Bischoff, but for most of my time after ECW ends, including the TNA ECW reunion in 2010, I'm a babyface. And with very little exception, like there was this one circuit in Queens where I was working against Hugo Savinovich and I wanted to do some real experimental Andy Kaufman type shit and I wanted to be a heel. And he was going to be the baby face. And I worked against Hugo. And on our podcast, we put it over. And I was a heel. That was the first really kind of heel work I had done since 2005 ECW One Night Stand. And then that was the first that I had done since like 99, 2000. So always a baby face. And then a few months ago, like end of last year, end of 2023, at Battleground Championship Wrestling in Philly, which has their shows at the ECW Arena, which it was an amazing challenge, and I was very proud of myself for doing it, I turned heel. I didn't have to. I, you know, I don't... I didn't have to. I wasn't told to, I didn't have to, you know, in the sense that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that I had nothing to do with the creative and the promoter came up to me with a script or whatever and said, listen, I know you're kind of a baby face in this building with these people. We're turning you heel. It wasn't that it was pretty much 180 degrees, the opposite of that. And I kind of voluntarily not counting the Hugo Savinovich thing, not counting ECW one night stand 2005, for the first time in 24 years or so, I turned back heel in the ECW arena. And um, and like you were kind of just talking about, Brian, when you were talking about getting people to love you, getting people to hate you, and what's easier and what's more natural and how you go about it. It was really 
I learned a lot from having the blessing and the benefit of being an admired hero character figure in that building with those hundreds of people and 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 being able on every level to turn it around and go full circle right back to the mid to late 90s when I got my break and turn heel again for the first time in like 24 years and it was so much fun and it was so refreshing and and uh, and I'm having a great time working the ECW arena as a heel so let me just touch on something real quick before I flip it over to RJ here. Um, let's talk Paul Heyman for a minute. Uh, Paul Heyman, wow, I don't know what to say about that guy, except uh, I admire the fuck out of him. Um, I was able to work with him for many, many years, as you are, you know, you would. Jimmy, you did too. Um, I was on the, the plane ride that almost went down, and he was right beside me, and um, – with Big what? Show in your lap, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> chair broke. Big Show's yeah. chair broke <clears throat> in my lap, so I've got a. I don't know how much weight. I don't want to make him mad, but at least what four hundred pounds. At um, least. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be nice, um, and I'm not a nice guy. But anyway, uh, but 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 the work he's doing now is so phenomenal. The work he's done before. How was it? in a nutshell, to work with this guy, Paul Heyman. I mean, I, I know that I've heard stories where, you know, some people were mad because he may have lied to them about pay and da 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 But you know what? So did Dixie Carter. Um, you know, and, and, and so did probably Vince McMahon. And so did probably Eric Bischoff. Okay, so those types of things are just part of the business. You know, they're just part of the business trying to get an engine going. But what can you gravitate to me to explain what he meant to Joel Gertner during those ECW days? And what does he mean to you? Like, just what it was Paul Heyman back in those ECW days? Everything. Everything. I... Man. So when I tell you that I liked Roddy Piper and Jesse Ventura and Lou Albano. That means that I liked Jim Cornette and Bobby Heenan. And especially I felt like I gravitated towards Paul Heyman. I felt like he resonated. I don't know if it's because similarity and or geography because he's from New York. I don't know. But his story working the territories, getting in on that and just getting to WCW, and I would listen to him on the radio on John Arezzi's show, and I would call in and ask him a question, and the question was deemed good enough that I would get an autographed 8x10 from Paul Heyman, and then when I'm asking for my job in ECW, it's at the Travel Lodge, and it's by the elevator, and I'm basically giving an elevator pitch before I ever knew what an elevator pitch was to Paul Heyman, and he's <laughs> the one who gave me my job, there was that moment where he told me, you know, you mean nothing to me as a baby face, but a million dollars as a heel. He, I, he, everything. I mean, a, a, a mentor, a, a big brother or father figure, 
um, ev- everything. You know, I, he gave me my break. He, you know, before it was a T-shirt, before it was a gimmick, before it was part of the creative and on screen as part of the product, going back to 1995, I was a Paul Heyman guy. Maybe one of the biggest Paul Heyman guys still low-key under the radar to date. Because when Paul Heyman couldn't be Paulie Dangerously on ECW because he needed to be the owner, the authority, and he needed to be Paul Heyman, I was there managing the Dudleys, arguably being the next best thing to Paulie Dangerously. When Rick Rude was brought in, we did point-counterpoint segments where we would go back and forth and cut promos on each other. I am working opposite Rick Rude, who Paul Heyman managed in WCW as part of the Dangerous Alliance. I'm coming up with the Gertnerisms, but Paul Heyman is coming up with Well, Well, Well. And Paul Heyman also came up with Quintessential Stud Muffin. And Quintessential Stud Muffin is an homage to Universal Heartthrob, Austin Idol, who Paul managed earlier in his career. Wow. So I, am not, I am not just a Paul Heyman guy. I am one of the Paul Heyman guys. That's what Paul means to me. So we have a uh, question here from WWE Master 2018. Uh, I know you briefly talk uh, talked about the uh, ECW One Night Stand in 2005, but uh, he wants to know, do you have any funny stories or memories from that pay-per-view that you never have told before? Legally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I remember no oh, Balls Mahoney trying to kayfabe binging Mountain Dew and cigarettes because he's heard that Vince hates smoking. So he's like yeah. outside with his format sheet. I I'm trying to remember, like it was so it was the most bizarre thing ever because I used to go to that building as a fan, you know? Like I like I appear on one of the first episodes of Raw in '93, up in the balcony, wearing a suit and tie, all dressed up. I forget why, whatever. When Helen Hart and Stu Hart are in the balcony, and Jerry Lawler goes up in there with a live mic, and um, starts like harassing Stu Hart. Like you can kind of catch me. Like I, I like that building meant so much to me for Monday Night Raw and and just from having been a fan you know however many years earlier so funny stories I just I got to catch up with people I got to meet great people um met Snitsky that day he's a super cool dude um so were so many other people that I met I don't want to single anybody out um 
funny stories. Just surreal, man. Just, you know, that I signed that two-day contract. Didn't even work, you know, on the Saturday. We, we had hardcore homecoming in Philly on Friday, like, going into the weekend. And then they bought me out. They had me for Saturday. Didn't use me. And then just, you know, getting that pay-per-view bonus was so super cool when I wasn't expecting it, uh, when they didn't have to. Um, it was... It, it it was unbelievable. You know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm sitting in Brooklyn right now as we record this. I've left five or six different times, but I keep coming back. I'm like one of Mike Tyson's homing pigeons. But um, <laughs> but I'm in Brooklyn and I grew up in Brooklyn, but I've left a ton of times and I've lived elsewhere. But at the time I was, I was, I think I was staying in Brooklyn at, at my grandmother's place. The show was in the city. My folks who live in Florida now were still living in the city. They had an apartment near 14th Street. Not so, so far, like just a mile or two away from Midtown where the Manhattan Center was. And I remember not, it was the first time I ever worked WWE with the exception of going to Stanford for that home video stuff. It's the last time I've ever worked WWE so far. I've I I I remember the day started at noon. That's when call was. Like Cinderella, the day ended right about at midnight. So it was like a 12-hour day. It went from noon to midnight. And I remember leaving the the building. You know, I'm living in Brooklyn staying with my grandmother. And my parents, you know, they live nearby um, to the building. They live about, um, you know, a mile or two away from where the show's at in Midtown. And I remember I didn't want the experience to end. And here it is now. I got there at noon for call and I'm leaving the building at about midnight. Just looking back on it and, you know, wow, hope to do more of this. Don't want it to end. What a great day. What was so surreal is that to go from kind of the the wrestling world or that kind of work atmosphere and get back to yourself and out of character and real life, it was like a seven or eight minute cab ride back to my folks' apartment. Wow. And I left the building after 12 hours for the first time ever working within WWF, WWE, I left the Manhattan Center at 12 midnight by about 12.10 a.m. I was in my parents' apartment with my parents, with them asking me how the show went. And I had to, instead of going out and, you know, partying or going to a club or whatever, or because I'm from out of town, having to be at a hotel, not having to be at a hotel, getting to be at a hotel, you know, but instead of like, just super contrary to how it was in the ECW days, within 10 minutes of leaving the building, I was back with my family at home. And not long after that, just kind of laying down and getting ready to, you know, sleep on their couch, stay over their place and just have to kind of wind down decompress compartmentalize everything and just figure out like what the fuck just happened and where could it go from here 
And it was just super surreal being at the Manhattan Center at midnight and being at home with my folks at like 1210. So that's an interesting kind of story related to that show. Mm -hmm. So could a Joel Gertner ever work in today's wrestling right now? Um, I was sure it has to be tamed down quite a bit because of the sensitive world we live in. Let's just call it the way it is. A bunch of bitches we live in. Uh, could it work? Yeah, I could. I personally could. Could Quintessential Stud Muffin, it would depend on you know how the promoter would want that character to present itself. But I don't need to be that character. And I hate to be kind of pigeonholed and I hate to be kind of typecast. Um, the stuff that I'm doing on the indies and, and where I perform these days is partly that, but is not, it doesn't hang its hat on the dick jokes. And it doesn't need it. And it could do just as well without it. And, and you know, there have been shows that I've done recently where I've done without it. And so, I mean, I, with the quintessential stud muffin Joel Gertner, exactly who was with the Dudleys in 97, in 98, could in ECW, could that work? Should that work? I, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe, yes, maybe not. But but I don't, I would never want that. If someone were to decide that that's not what they need right now in their company or for their product, that's fine. But I would never want that to disqualify me, Joel Gertner, personally from being an asset in front of the camera and behind the scenes and or behind the scenes. Um, because before I was the quintessential stud muffin Joel Gertner and before I was an ECW, I did two or three years on the indies when I was a teenager and I was Joey Jaguar. And I was, you know, kind of a Paul, Pauly Dangerously, Jim Cornette hybrid type, but, um, you know, kind of like a heel with a silver spoon in his mouth. But, you know, and then there's the stuff that I'm doing now um, I've been an actor since junior high school. Um, so, you know, I could do anything, you know, all the way. I mean, once we get to upholstery, I've, you know, I've got trouble with, you know, I've, I've got trouble with a hammer and nails and I'm not too handy. But, you know, anything beyond that, like, I mean, it, I could portray any kind of character as, as long as I understand what a producer wants from me what my motivation is, what their, you know, what are the ends that justify the means to get me to perform in such a manner that I'm presenting the character the way you want me to. I, I could do, you know, I could, I mean, I'm a background actor now, you know, I, 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 I go to central casting. I was on the set of blue bloods a few weeks ago. Um, like, you know, I, I could do, I'd like to think I could do something for a company, but, but so it's a tough question to answer, but the quintessential stud muffin, um, I think tweaked a bit, I think relying less on it, but look, I mean, last night I watched raw 
right? And saw the clip of The Rock saying that he was going to slap the herpes off somebody's lips, right? Hmm. All right. So whether it's me saying your mom who's 50 years of age or younger or your older sister, you know, like I did earlier in the show, or whether it's me talking about them and saying that when I'm in their bedsheets, you know I'm effing it up because here I am with Brian Hebner and Jimmy Corderas on episode one, two, three, and we're reffing it up. You know, we, you, I mean, there's 10,000 ways to skin a cat or poach an egg or get anything done. And uh, I'd like to think that I have the skills and the tools that whether somebody would want me as the quintessential stud muffin, whatever that means to them at whatever level, at whatever volume, or whether they would want me as something else that I've either done or that it would be an experience and a challenge to to take on. Um, you know, I'd love to think that there's still a place for me in the industry. I want to close shop and ask one more question. And because, uh, you know, we can go on all night and we generally can't uh, reference it up, but uh, we don't want to. We, we appreciate y'all's time, each and every one of you guys that want to come on here and, and shoot the shit, and we appreciate it. Um, but what do the letters ECW mean to you internally? I was a fan of ECW before I got into it. Um, it was it was one of my favorite products um, when I was watching it on Satellite Dish up at school, um, 94, 95, before I got in, I went to quite a few shows at the arena as a fan. Um, so as a fan, as a tape trader, as somebody studying the business, and as somebody who appreciated the value of the territories and realized that ECW was indeed the last territory, um, well, one of the last. Smoky Mountain, Memphis was still around, but uh, geographically for us in the Northeast to where I could go to the shows, uh, it was our, uh, it was a territory for us. Um, it, it means, ECW to me means where I got my start, uh, where I asked for a job and did it correctly and succeeded and got hired uh it's where i was the youngest member of the locker room uh i was uh i was the baby of the locker room so brian probably can relate to that a little bit and jimmy you also going back to 85 you know the kid you could probably you guys could probably both relate to being kind of younger statesmen um younger brothers but um yeah, I mean, I started three days after my 20th birthday. So if I would have started the weekend before I started, I would have started as a teenager. But um, and nobody else ever really did. I mean, Kimona, um was was one of the younger people in the locker room. Roadkill. Uh, Juventud Guerrera, I think, is maybe around my age, maybe a couple of months younger. But he came in later. But when I came in in September of 95, right after my 20th birthday, I was the youngest person in the locker room. And ECW was just a bunch of crazy older brother. I mean, imagine being like a high school kid that's an ambassador, like a mascot 
at like the local college's frat parties. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it was just, it was like, um, I, I would say, I would say this, Joel, you probably were in a position where, cause it was, it was kind of like this for me. It was kind of like you were invited to a party and you had no fucking clue what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very much that. And so, so I, a lot of the time it was very much speak when spoken to sit at the kiddie table, that kind of thing. And, and that's great until word gets out that you've left Cornell university to be there. <laughs> people start to think, Oh, who's this guy who's like uppity and like thinks he's hoity toity and thinks he's like, you know, um, holier than thou and like, oh, is he too good to talk to us? Is he too good to hang out? It was a really, really fine line and it was a really, really delicate dance. So my answer to it was to just treat it like I treated high school and junior high school and that was to just get along with everybody instead of rush and try to be like, who can I fall in with to where I'll be, you know, I, I didn't want to be part of a clique. I wanted it to be the exact opposite of that. I wanted to be able, and I think I can say that I got along with everybody in the company. And I'd like for it to have been the case that everybody might be able to say that they had no problem with me. And um, that's just kind of, you know, and as time went by, I felt more comfortable if I had a creative idea pitching it. Um, but yeah, what ECW means to me, um, it's just everything, you know, I, I just, uh, I owe, I owe my wrestling career to, uh, to ECW and Paul Heyman. And it was, um, it, it was kind of, you know, the, doing what I did on the indies when I was a teenager was just kind of, it wasn't swimming in the deep end. It was just kind of dipping your toe kind of into the shallow side of the pool. I think ECW is where I finally got to swim. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, we uh, appreciate you jumping into our pool. That's for sure. And joining <laughs> us here today, because uh, this was awesome. Hearing all that stuff. It just, uh, you know, um, it's amazing. Cause uh, you know, you, you hear things that hopefully, you know, inspires people and your story of, of taking a chance on yourself, hopefully inspires others to take a chance on themselves too. And Joe, uh, we want to do this too, before you leave, uh, we want to give you the opportunity to put out anything you want to put out, anything coming up, all your socials, whatever you want to put out there, the stage is yours. You go at it. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. WrestleMania weekend. I'll be at a uh, 2300 arena, ECW arena, uh, Battleground Championship Wrestling, uh, two shows and a meet and greet in between. Two shows I'm going to be managing my new faction, the Sex with Your Next X Express. What? <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> back, back, back the fuck up! What now? Did you? Yeah. The promoter, like the promoter was like, 
the sex with your ex express. And I was like, I don't know. There's no heat in that, though, because, you know, sex with your ex. But what if you're the one that broke up with them? No, you got to make them the other person. I was like, what if instead of sex with your ex, what if it's the sex with your next ex express? He was like, I love it even more. Tremendous. <laughs> he hates me. The promoter. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to slap the taste out of his mouth, too. I'd love to. He's he's yeah, he's he's vile. He's uh he's a big bag of human feces. Um never did, never did never did pay me the right level of respect. Uh never did um at the first show that I um graciously went to of his out of the kindness of my heart, never did uh throw up a banner um up with all the other ones for the hardcore hall of fame and uh and immortalize me in that building. Uh so um, you know, of course I had to go into business for myself and still do. I do that at all of his shows, and because uh, I think it's fun, uh, it it uh, it makes me smile. So yeah, so Tim Embler is a real piece of human garbage, and um, <laughs> you know, I don't care whether you know you you know every once in a while he'll pop for something, think it's a good idea, or I can see him smile when he's trying not to. I know he loves me; it's hard not to. Uh, why wouldn't you? But um, you know, <laughs> so I'll be there, and um, I'll be managing the sex with your next sex express. And everybody's going to pretend to hate me because that's the gimmick. And that's the, you know, but of course, everybody still loves me in that building. You can't hate me. You know, hating me is like hating your own mother. Um, and then I will also that weekend, later that day, I will be wrestling to determine who is the greatest male manager in ECW history. I will be wrestling one of your kindred official referee spirits brian and jimmy i will be wrestling bill alfonso oh, oh wow quintessential stud muffin versus fonzie to see who the greatest male manager in ecw history was and i find it interesting that in pennsylvania here in new york our lottery system our scratch-offs our lottery we do it for um for education for the department of education in pennsylvania they do their lottery system for elder senior Pennsylvanians. And I think that's just all the irony you need is that in a state where the lottery benefits older civilians, I am going to perform elder abuse on Bill Alfonso for pay, for pleasure, and to earn the title of the greatest male manager in the history of Extreme Championship Wrestling. Can, can can I please put my hand in there? Can can, can I be the, the agent for this fucking shit? <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas you have, feel free to send them along. Um, yeah, man, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I got that going on. Um, on X, I am Stud Muffin says. Uh, pretty much everywhere else on social media like threads, Instagram, TikTok. I am quintessential stud muffin. Um, cameo. You can get a cameo where I cut a promo for you, on you, on someone you like, on someone you dislike, roast, whatever it is that you'd like of me on cameo. Uh, you can find me on uh, at cameo.com slash joel gertner and of course each cameo digital video message is just 69 dollars 
Um, I have a couple of shirts on pro wrestling tees and, um, and yeah, just, um, stay, stay linked up with me on, uh, social media. You'll be able to follow my sports betting trajectory. Um, I've got a little project, a little experiment that's been going on since December. That's been doing pretty well with the exception of the last week or so, uh, the first two months of it has been, uh, doing pretty well. We're fighting regression against the mean right now. And we are hoping to have our luck turn and be profitable once again. The goal is for 1% a day. Uh, we've been well above that for uh, a lot of uh, the couple of months since we started doing this in December. So uh, you can keep an eye on that and see uh, some of the good sports bets that come in. Um, social media is also good for stock picks. Uh, we talk about just about everything. And um, that's about it. That's all I can think of. Hmm. Very, very interesting. And um, wow, dude, you are a smart motherfucker. Uh, thank you. you are as well. Well, look, I do really want to thank you, man. I know we have never met personally that I remember. Maybe we have. and Maybe you'll just call me out here, but I don't think we have. But I just want to say to you, I want to meet you, man. I want to have a beer with you. Uh, you seem like a really cool dude and seem like you're down to earth and sound like you uh, really don't give a fuck like me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. Let's uh, let's make that happen. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, on my behalf, I would like to thank you very, very much. And um, if you ever come on here again, there's only one rule I have that you broke. You didn't know it. I didn't tell you. We don't use that oh, letter. Jesus. Don't even want to say it. Um, we, we call it Twitter because I hate that other fucking name. <laughs> you know what? The, the X is a symbol that the ref gives for a certain reason. That's, That's right, it. Man. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, that's all. Oh, I can I can tell you this much. I mean, I'm I'm a numbers guy, I'm a metrics guy, and I can tell you that you know nothing against Elon Musk, nothing in support of him, nothing against him, nothing either way. But I can just tell you anecdotally that over the last few weeks and months, and, and I'm sure it's not just me, I'm sure a lot of people have this to say. I am you know, a little bit, little by little, slowly but surely, not in droves. I am losing followers on X and I am gaining followers on threads doing very little. I really should be posting more on threads than I do, but for as little as I've posted relatively on threads, I'm getting um, a good amount of followers there. So mm -hmm. X needs to, and, and then there's a friend of mine on X, a follower of mine who like, his number one hobby was Twitter. He was so good at it. He, I don't know how he would find memes like at an, like he was like a Twitter genius, like a Twitter savant, a guy I know named Chris Haas. And I just saw a few days ago that they suspended his account. And I know that it must be killing him that they suspended his account because he lived on that thing and he really did put a lot of time, effort, heart, and soul into it. So I don't know what all is going on at X or at Twitter, but I can tell you anecdotally that even though I'm not an Elon Musk, you know, universally one way or the other, hater or lover, they they better figure their shit out because um, it seems like it, it kind of is not what it was a year, two years, five years ago. Absolutely right. And you know what? Here's what I'm going to tell you. And I'm being dead serious when I say this. I don't care about Elon Musk. Suspend my account. 
because I don't give a fuck. I'm going to say what the fuck I want to say. My boy Jimmy got roasted. You didn't hear this, but like he was on there. He was getting roasted by some just dumb idiots. He wouldn't get roasted. He was just getting barrashed. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you guys. It's not something you would go up to this guy and say in his face. But anyway, I don't want to get into that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. Just, it's, it, see, the brothers and stripes, man. We got each other's backs. You know how it is? Awesome, yeah, though. Seriously, all, all though, thank you. Go ahead, Joel. I'm sorry. All of us ancillary talent, you know what I mean? All of us kind of non-wrestler wrestling personalities uh, got to have each other's backs, you know what I mean? Because it's, you know, nobody makes a wrestler look as large as a wrestler can look than an announcer, than a referee, than a manager, you know what I mean? They are the ones who are these larger-than-life people in many ways except physically and they allow the people who are larger than life and physical specimens to really shine and, and you know so all of us who work together outside of the ring or in the ring non-wrestlers so to speak uh, we got to have each other's backs because it's such a small segment of a small segment Yep, I agree. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Joel, thank you so much for being on this week. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to uh, seeing what you got coming up next. All right, man. Thank you all so much. Well, guys, another great episode this week. Definitely looking forward to all you guys hearing this, obviously, this episode. Looking forward to that. Uh, but definitely looking forward to you know going into uh, next week. But before we do... Uh, Jimmy, man, you use social media very well on your end. Unfortunately, you have to deal with them some uh, jack wagon sometimes, but uh, it was rough and rants, like I said, each and every week. Definitely a part of my daily rituals, but uh, how people can uh, get a hold of that and uh, all your good uh, stuff you do outside of that. Well, uh, besides being here with you guys, which I love doing uh, every week, uh, oh. you can catch me uh, doing my rough and rants on all my social media platforms from Monday to Friday. And again, little critiques that I find not to tear down, but to tighten screws that I believe need to be tightened. All the views expressed on the ref and rent are those of mine and mine alone. You can and we could agree to disagree at times. If you don't agree, that's fine. That's cool. It's not a big deal. You don't have to be, as you said, a jackwad about it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and also, you know, you can catch me doing uh, the uh, Wrestling Inc. Uh, post Raw and post Dynamite uh, show recaps and. Uh, Having a lot of fun doing that. And just like being out there, man, just uh, talking wrestling. Yeah, I think it's becoming a tradition that I, one of us has to go off on Twitter every week. I think the rotation now, I think, is uh, down to you, Brian. I don't want to go off. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I really don't. I want to be friendly, yeah. be fun, but but... Jesus Christ, sometimes people just won't let us do it, you know, and they just right, have right. to, they just have to break the badness out of me and I can't stand it. And, and, and then you attack my brother and I'm like, oh, no, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, whatever. It is what it is. But um, yeah, social media is, uh, you catch me on Twitter at uh, Baby Hebner and you catch me on um, Instagram at Baby Hebner too. And other than that, I have nothing. And just want to say what a great episode that was. I was, uh, very, very intrigued by a lot of stuff that went on tonight. So what a great listen. Thank you guys very much. And uh, yeah. Jimmy, 
RJ, always spot on, just like our guys, AJ McKay. Wow. Our opening is the best in the podcast world, and I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, and then we all this artwork you're seeing, we got the new shirt out there. We got new graphics each and every week. You can't give enough props to J.D. Hoop. You're probably going to see his work this weekend at uh, Elimination Chamber in Australia. You're probably going to see his artwork again and his gear work at WrestleMania. So shout out to him. All their links are in our show notes. Uh, but you can follow us, the show that is, at Reffing It Up on, at, or excuse me, I almost did it. I almost did it on Twitter and Instagram. I had to. Um, <laughs> RJ, RJ, very good today. Don't you dare do it. I know. No, I don't I want to have to do a ref and rant on you, RJ. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll have to cancel out those burner accounts that I have. Uh, anyways, so so next week, guys, stay tuned to all our social medias. Myself or myself, not myself, but the shows, Brian's, Jimmy's. We will be making a big, a huge announcement tomorrow as you are listening about who will be our guest for a 100th episode next week. Oh, no, wait a minute, RJ, you have not, yeah. you, what do you mean? You have not told me anything about this. I know I didn't. It's all part of my diabolical plan. It's going to be an earth shattering kaboom. Listen, or- I'm your, I'm your boss. You tell me what the fuck's going on. Usually, what are you doing? Well, I had to go to the bullpen. I had to, you know, call in the lefty. I had to, make an impact. I had to, you know, have you busting at the seams with anticipation uh, about our, our next oh. guest um, to go big or go home. Wow. You know about this? No, no, man. I, I, you know what? It's called working the workers. And that's what he's doing to us right now. I, 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 I think, I, I think I've, I've been doing this long enough with, uh, with both you guys. I think I, I've, I picked up a thing or two and uh, you know, I, who knows? Well, who knows who it may be? You guys are going to have to stay tuned. You guys are going to have to, uh, you know, wait and see. I guess this okay. this better be good, Tony. I mean, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish I had his money, Brian. Um, uh, no, might, but seriously might, though, <laughs> what's you that? Better, you might have better brains. Yeah, well, he's got better hair. Uh, anyways, so we got that coming up. Stay tuned to our social medias for that. Uh, and then next week, too, we also have uh, – we may have a couple other, you know, sneak previews, some some specials as well. So stay tuned to our social medias for that. Thank you guys for tuning in this week to Reffing It Up. For Mr. Jimmy Corderas, for Mr. Brian Hadner, I'm RJ. We'll see you here next week on our 100th episode of Reffing It Up. One, two, three.